0: Your next game is going to be more powerful combined, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to how can we use the idea of group dynamics in our role-playing, and what's at the core of interesting character interactions, and how can we, as the DM, encourage characters to give a hoot about one another. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. You can tell that you wrote that intro because I don't think I would say give a hoot. Yeah, well, I think it's an appropriate expression of anger. (laughs) I don't give a hoot. There would be a lot less that could be listened to by a family-centric audience if I had written that. Yes, up to now, families can listen. (laughs) Stop listening now. (laughs) Yeah, families tune out now. And one quick note, I'm back to full standing power in the studio, so you might hear that come through in my voice. <laughs> Can you hear him stand? I think it's clear as crystal when somebody's standing versus sitting. Hmm. All right. We'll see. Well, so today we're going to talk about what kind of magic makes characters mesh really well. It seems like sometimes when you're playing D&D, it just works. And maybe you can't even put your finger on Why? Yeah, like when everyone starts bouncing ideas off of one another and they just start playing into each other and like you say, just meshing well. Yeah, the dwarven badass is playing off of the uh, goody two shoes cleric and everything seems to be going right. And the flip side of this is I've been in that position where you're just kind of sitting at a table and you're like, where the hell does my character fit here? And sometimes everybody's made really interesting characters. They just can't figure out how to talk to each other. The rest of the table doesn't quite understand what your character is there to do or how they fit in. And so you end up just kind of sitting there quietly, waiting for your opportunity to jump in that may never come because you don't quite fit in this group. And it leads to a mournful, silent night. (laughs) (laughs) Sad. Don't go there. Well, this doesn't have to be the reality, because just because you might be feeling that doesn't mean that you've made a bad character. It doesn't mean you don't belong in that group. It just means that there needs to be some synchronicity in all of these different characters, and maybe we haven't quite found that quite yet. And I think the final challenge that I have as a player is knowing when to hop in to get in that spotlight, to have your time to shine. And you might notice, like, I've played with people where it seems like it's always their time to shine. <laughs> and that's the, that's the flip side of this. You're either not getting enough time in the spotlight or you're getting too much. And that's because all of the party dynamics haven't quite been figured out. So where do all of these party dynamics come from? Well, we've seen it play out beautifully in movies and TV. And it's really easy to pass it off as the fact that writers were able to write every single line of dialogue. They know exactly what they're doing. But we think that it's rather the characters were designed to play off of each other with some well-established and really simple character trope ideas that we can replicate really easily in D&D. And we've danced around this before, like in our references of TV shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Community where everyone seems to play off of each other really well. And that's largely because of a character that's been established and potentially tropes that they are leaning on to fill in all of the blanks, to give people the idea of who is who and what they're all about at a a moment's glance. And yes, these ideas are really simple, but they're a starting point for a really dynamic fleshed out character. They're not the entire character on the flip side, if you have that detailed character already, just lean into one of these tropes and all of a sudden they can mesh with a group a lot better. That's a really important point. And it all comes down to the summary of like, tropes are good. Tropes are great. It often feels like, oh, this character feels tropey. And that means I haven't made a good character. To your point, You just haven't played that character long enough because the trope is where you start and then your character develops and grows and changes from there. But based on that trope, it means that everyone could get on board a lot sooner. Yeah. Okay, well, let's start diving into that in the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So there's character dynamics that come into play in parties of two all the way up to parties of six. And they all kind of build off of each other and they just give you a great place to slot your character and start role playing. And it's kind of cool because as you go through each one of those party levels and sizes, the dynamics change just ever so slightly, but they keep building one on top of the other. And they're so cool because, you know, when we're going through these, Every time I think of a party of two, every single one that seems to pop to mind somehow fits that trope. And it's so perfect. And you go, why didn't I ever see that before? (laughs) Yeah, it becomes very apparent very quickly. So let's start at party of two. Okay, so what are a couple of classic parties of two that come to mind? Well, the comedic greats, Chris Farley and David Spade. Like in Tommy Boy. Yeah, they always kind of played similar characters in most movies that they were in together. Or, say, like, Pinky and the Brain. Absolutely. It doesn't always have to be 100% comedic either, because you've got diving into the fantasy genre. The Witcher and Dandelion make a pretty good duo. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that you say that, because the Witcher, by himself, is a pretty brooding, grim kind of person. And there's not a ton of laughs to be found when it's just The Witcher. But as soon as you throw Dandelion in there, all of a sudden, those games or those books just become a bit of a laugh riot. Like, they're pretty good. And I think that they made him such a crucial part of the TV show because you can't have The Witcher fill a lot of screen time by himself. (laughs) He's a badass, but he needs someone to play off of. Yeah, yeah, good point. What goes into the party of two? Well, it works well when the two sit on either side of multiple traits. Anything body, mind, temperament, bulky or agile, intelligent versus instinctual. They can have similar personalities and goals even, but they need to have at least one major contrasting feature. Or even going back to our previous series on mysteries, Sherlock and Watson. Absolutely. And in games where there's a lot of goals, if both of their ways lead to results, it makes for a really interesting journey as they kind of slowly learn each other's techniques and respect each other. Yeah, for who they are and and the approach that they take and the role that they play in that that duo. Yeah, because, you know, David Spade's character would always come to respect Chris Farley's eventually to some degree. (laughs) In the beginning, he just thinks he's a bumbling oaf. Well, and feeding into that, is, of course, David Spade was never the hero that rose to the challenge. He was always kind of the pessimist who kind of shat all over any of Chris Farley's character's ideas all the way through. Just so much contrast. And this actually came up recently in a game of ours, too. We were playing with uh, the GM Tim DMing, but a couple of the characters were a tabaxi and a tortle, and they opposed each other simply on speed. The turtle speaking very slowly and the tabaxi just being a mile a minute. And that jumpstarted their entire interaction, which was really entertaining the entire game. And previously, neither of the players had met each other. And they, they didn't plan it out at all. Yeah, they figured it out as they went. And it went so well. It was like they had rehearsed it beforehand. Yeah. And I think the important point to make here is that no matter how big the party gets, If each member has some form of this dynamic, you've got gold everywhere you look. What are some of the different pairings that we can make? To make this really easy on me as a player, how can I pair these two together? So you mentioned, you know, physical characteristics, but let's go through some of the other dynamics that are available. Well, a classic dynamic that's used is focus. So... A recent example of this is Deadpool and Cable in Deadpool 2, where Cable is a little bit sarcastic, but he's really straightforward and focused on his tasks and his goals. Well, they're both kind of sarcastic, but they contrast each other with Cable being definitely kind of edgelord, very grim, comes from a dark (laughs) future, like everything is depressing. And then Deadpool takes none of it seriously. So Cable falls into the hero role in this duo and Deadpool falls into the weird one. If the hero acts like that, the weird one is then out of touch with reality, completely unfocused. Their intention is just to have fun. (laughs) And that goes back to so many of the original examples that we brought up. Like usually one of them is just scatterbrained. Yeah, absolutely. Another strong dynamic to start from is to contrast their physicality and their heroism. So in this one, you've got the action hero and the action survivor. And the action hero is physically impressive, an incredible fighter. They've got a wild amount of confidence, and they end up pulling off incredible-looking stunts. And sometimes they trade off those more realistic life skills for their badassery. So they're not good at, like, <laughs> very good <laughs> average yes. person things. And then the action survivor... Starts their journey off as a normal person, typically physically unimpressive. They're the ones that are squirrely. They dodge things. They're just trying to survive. They don't (laughs) face things head on. Boy, I can already think of so many. (laughs) This is so commonly done. Like every movie that The Rock is in, he is paired with a physically unimpressive person, whether it's like uh, Central Intelligence with Kevin Hart or The Rundown with Sean William Scott, like he's always so because he's just physically, you can't hide it. Yeah. And that is so true of both of those characters that he played is that, yeah, they have something missing from their daily life that they're trying to discover. And then you've got these everymans that are just reacting to <laughs> the the insanity That has just become normal for some of these people. Yeah. And filling in their gaps. You know, Kevin Hart usually steps in in scenarios that don't require just brash heroism. Okay, so that's that's good. I can already start to see where in certain games, like I have a large Goliath. I need to start playing into that for that character. Yeah, totally. And if we get one of the other characters on board, that'll be a really awesome interaction. Well, and weirdly enough, in retrospect, I've built that character to be both sides of that same coin. And what I need to do is have some conversations with other players at the table and find my counterpoint so that that character doesn't have to try to embody both of those those traits. Yeah, living in a void. Yeah. Okay, so where this theory kind of breaks down is when you add a third person in there, how do you counterpoint each other when there's three of you? Well, it still works beautifully because you've got all kinds of examples of trios and I'll kind of break them down here. So the power trio really builds on the party of two with their contrasting approaches to life. So you take two characters, you make sure they're at the extremes of their positions and you put one in the middle to balance them out and see things from both sides and try to mediate those two characters. Interesting. They're a more level-headed individual that is always kind of trying to bring those two together, and that can encourage those two contrasting characters to not worry as much about kind of like walking away from each other because there's still lots of... Something holding them together. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of examples where this gets a little bit more specific. So the Freudian trio is where one represents the id the superego, and the ego. And if you're like me, you didn't really have a great idea of what those were. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be able to admit your own, uh, you know, shortcomings. You just, Go on. You just knew there were smart people stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so the id acts on impulse. It satisfies more selfish desires. The superego acts on ideals of morality and self. And the ego acts realistically trying to satisfy the desires of the id and the superego without any negative consequences and if you want an example of that you've got the original star trek okay basically kirk is the id yeah satisfies more selfish desires (laughs) god damn it kirk keep it in your damn pants (laughs) pretty much so then you have the the superego is obviously spock yeah and then the ego would be Bones. There you go. All right. And so that's a serious example of a trio. Then you've got a lot of trios that come to mind, which is the comic trio. Oh, I already know where you're going with this one. What do you got? There's so many. First thing. Well, weirdly enough, the one that immediately comes to mind is Horrible Bosses, uh, because you have to have just an absolute bonkers character. And Charlie Day does such a great job playing this character in every role that he's ever been cast in. Yeah, that's a pretty recent example. And that was such a funny movie because they played into it. So the easiest way to imagine this is an analogy of a car heading towards a cliff. The first character is the navigator, the foolish leader that has a plan that's not based in reality. They're just confident in their bad plans. Okay, then you've got the driver who's the fool that agrees to any plan. Which is Charlie. Yeah, exactly. Who just goes along with whatever the navigator says (laughs) and thinks he's the smartest. Then you've got the sane one who sits in the back seat, who keeps trying and failing to talk them out of it. Who has no hand on the wheel, (laughs) has no capacity to direct, but is basically just playing off of all of the insanity and basically bringing us all back to reality. Yeah. About how weird this situation is and that's what makes that so comedic basically the one that breaks that fourth wall and looks at the camera yeah it says boy oh boy <laughs> here we go again right on and these are traditionally done as really stupid characters but that's not the defining trait that's necessary for its success because when the ghostbusters started up they were a comedic trio of intelligent characters yeah no fair enough i i See what you mean? Because I can immediately think of exactly which one of those characters. Like, again, you've got uh, Bill Murray's Peter Venkman is the driver. I thought this was very clear. Now I'm going through it (laughs) because Ray kind of had the plan. Dan Aykroyd's Ray, who's like, we can catch some ghosts. He's the navigator. And then you've got the driver. The driver is actually Egon because he agrees to the navigator's plans without questioning them. Ah, yes, because the entire time peter venkman keeps going well this is nuts like we're catching ghosts yeah yeah all right no that's (laughs) crystal clear now i got it very good of course that's before they got winston so yeah he fits in to a party of four with a trope that's called the four philosophy ensemble it's all coming together (laughs) i get it all right you've got the cynic or the pessimist they're logical practical critical you've got the optimist who's determined, loyal to their ideals. They choose morality over friendship. You've got the realist, who balances the two, takes the middle ground.
1: <laughs> and... Often
0: feels like me in this <laughs> scenario. And you've got the apathetic, who seems unmotivated by the group's goals, and like they're along for the ride, they've kind of got different motivations, and they can be the wild card. Interesting. Okay. So if we put the Ghostbusters into those roles, it still works perfectly. Well, Winston really kind of becomes the apathetic one. Yeah, he's just kind of he's just in it for a job. Yeah, just trying to get paid. I guess I'll be a Ghostbuster (laughs) like, oh, he's the total character that joins your D&D party (laughs) partway through a campaign. Very good. Another great example of this is the Teenage (laughs) Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, obviously. Yeah, geez. So the cynic. Raphael, the optimist, Michelangelo, or is is he the apathetic? You've got the realist, who's Leonardo. Actually, the realist is that middle ground. They're the mediator. So this is actually Donatello, because he's always balancing between Raphael and Leonardo. That makes sense. Yeah. Which obviously (laughs) makes Michelangelo the (laughs) apathetic, who just wants to have fun and eat pizza. Yeah. He's got different motivations. (laughs) Very good. Oh, man. Boy, when you really start to break that down, everything just fits into its box so perfectly. Yeah. And damn, would we be lucky to be able to to do that with our D&D characters to just like know exactly what I'm supposed to do and what role I'm supposed to play. If my character deviates from any one of those kind of tropes, then it's significant. Like, it's something to pay attention to, and it's actually character growth. Because when Leonardo becomes the cynic, uh uh-oh, you're in trouble. That means something really important is currently taking place. That's a fantastic point. That's a character-defining moment. It gives the game a very dramatic pause. When Michelangelo stops having fun and stops playing... and stops joking, that's dramatic. And you know it because he stops screwing around. Yeah. It's like, okay, things are getting serious. Even Michelangelo's paying attention. Well, I'm assuming you have another final character ensemble for five. Yes, let's step it up to five. So in this one, you've got, and we're building on tropes here. They all have different names in these different configurations, but they're all kind of the same thing. Okay. You've got the leader, Usually level-headed, charismatic, a mastermind, headstrong. You've got somebody to contrast the leader, the lancer. They butt heads often, but often end up as friends. So again, going back to the very beginning, the leader and the lancer just have opposing traits. Okay, so they're kind of like a duo within this set of of five. Yeah. You've got the smart one. They're physically weak, but they're going to do all the figuring out the weird, clever shit. Okay. You've got the big one. (laughs) who directly contrasts the smart one. They can play off of each other really well. They're often the strongest member of the party. And you've got the heart, who's the peacekeeper of the group. They are the key to making everything work together as a team. So that's really interesting. So basically, you do have two duos and then a, a fifth member that binds everybody together. Yeah. And you want a very top of mind example of this? Sure the Avengers. Okay. So you've got the leader, who I think is meant to be Tony Stark, and you've got the Lancer, who's Captain America, and they're always in contrast so much that they have a whole storyline about how they're in contrast. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I wonder, though, if they do switch roles from time to time, like depending on the story that I'm trying to tell uh, and who it's central to. Whether it's more central to Tony Stark or more central to Captain America, the two are going to switch roles as they're always opposing each other. But because this story is about, say, the, the leader, at least this portion of the story, you know, that person steps into that role. But we've always got that counter. I think you're absolutely right. And the leader as a title doesn't mean they necessarily need to be like in D&D terms, they don't need to be the face of the party. Or anything like that. They just have usually characteristics like, as I said, level-headed, the mastermind, headstrong, confident. Yeah, I follow. Then going down the list, you've got the smart one is Dr. Bruce Banner. Interesting. Who always contrasts the big one, Thor. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, like, who's going to be the big one in this scenario? But and again... Throughout the entire thing, they just went head to head. They were constantly at odds and just kind of like in a playful, I'm the biggest kind of way. They made an entire movie about it. (laughs) Exactly. And finally, you've got the heart who ties it all together, Black Widow, who's constantly bringing people back to the action because of their own personal issues. That's interesting because Black Widow... Has a personal relationship with each one of those individuals. And it's like, and it, it's a bit of a deeper personal relationship because she, uh, you know, sees eye to eye with Captain America all the time. She has a history with Tony Stark. You know, she's got that whole sun setting big guy thing with uh, Hulk. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of different ties there that she's binding that entire group together. And whenever somebody needs to be brought back because they've gone rogue. <laughs> She's the one that they send. Yeah. Cool. And if you want to keep growing your group for six, you can either double up on certain archetypes to either be best friends or competitive. So for this, think R2-D2 and C-3PO. They're the smart one together. Okay. You know, if you're going up to seven, you can add in two more contrasting characters. The old one and the young one are a couple of tropes to throw in there. (laughs) They did this with Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. I mean, he doesn't have to be literally old. He just embodies wisdom, <laughs> that old spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, I don't know. Like, I can already start to see the patterns. Like, we just keep doubling down on two contrasting characters, and then we need some other characters to bind them together. Yeah. Yeah, you mix and match these to your heart's delight. And I guess the the takeaway for this, really, is if you're sitting at a and d table Look for another person and decide, just out and out decide, how are you two going to contrast each other? What traits? Going back to our set of five character traits, let's pick out some of those character traits. And maybe we can make the negative traits of one character contrast the positive traits of another. Or maybe we can make two positive traits contrast one another. But either way, We know that we're going to play that up throughout the entire game, and that's going to be fun. That's going to be an easy go-to of how our characters can interact and play off of each other. And then we'll continue to do that with other contrasting pairs. And what I love about this so, so, so freaking much is just that I don't have to guess when my players should jump in when there needs to be some logic put into the mix if i'm playing the logical character i'm gonna do that yeah and if things are getting way too heavy and i'm playing the weird character i'm gonna break that tension throw in a wild card and i think some players do this automatically like maybe you're the player that just knows has this impeccable sense of timing and i i think a lot of people are doing this and they just don't realize that they're playing into these tropes They just seem to know when it is their turn to jump in and everyone laughs and everyone goes, oh man, that's so smart. Man, they're a great player. Yeah, they're such a good role player. However, they just know the character that they're trying to play and they know when to insert them because it's contrasting something else that's happening. And that's that like comedic beat. That's that dramatic beat that happens underneath every good story. And it's just... Deeply satisfying to me (laughs) to kind of explore these concepts. I guess my question for you is what role does your character play into? You should definitely reach out to us. Let us know what your character is because we want to hear it and we want to hear how each one of your players, the other players at the table, fit into these tropes that maybe just perked up as you were listening to this episode. (laughs) Because I know for me, it certainly did. Yeah. Like every character that we played well, thinking back on it, falls into one of these categories. Yeah. And again, I'm going to have to go back through and look at all of my list of characters and go, oh boy, in a group of, you know, usually four, I think we have a couple of games that have three players in them. Yeah. And I'm going to have to kind of analyze that and go back to this list and just reference it and figure out what kind of character am I going to play. But yeah, I I have a lot of homework to do. I got to go back (laughs) through and and really analyze some characters. And have a hoot of a time. (laughs) You can find some references to all that we've talked about in the show notes. So if you need a a little reminder, just go to our website. Yeah, you can go to the website. And yeah, like I said, let us know. Let us know how this uh, impacted you and your game. And if you're actually able to practice it, boy, do we want to hear from you because we just hope that this is helping. <laughs> That's a good because. Oftentimes, we have no idea. So let's uh, move on to our second segment, Millie's Shop of Wonders. What? what magical trinket can't you discover among the shelves in Millie's Shop of Wonders? Okay, so this Millie's Shop of Wonders is going to start a little weird, but bear with me while I get to the good stuff. Oh boy, when you set up like that. (laughs) Not that weird, to be fair. The help action in D&D. Do you know it? Yes. I never use it. That's true. Neither do I. Because all eyes are on me and it's the me show. Yes. And who gives a shit what you're trying to do? Pay attention to my epic badassery as I unfurl my muscles and spells (laughs) (laughs) unfurl your muscles like a ship does sails yeah like a bunch (laughs) of carpets unfolding unrolling all (laughs) over my body (laughs) i am the saggy muscle fighter that is deeply upsetting oh that's my character gross okay anyways yes it's a very good action to take in combat and just as a recap if you don't know it you can lend your aid to another creature in the completion of a task when you take the help action the creature you aid gains advantage on the next ability check it makes to perform the task you are helping with, provided that it makes the check before the start of your next turn. An advantage is a great thing to have, whether you're just any old player or if you're a rogue. Like, you can give advantage to anybody at any time. Just grease up the works, make things go smoother. And alternatively, you can aid a friendly creature in attacking a creature within 5 feet of you. You faint, distract the target, or in some other way, team up to make your ally's attack more effective. If your ally attacks the target before your next turn, the first attack roll is made with advantage. Advantage! That's, yeah, that's awesome. That's all I crave. So good. So the only downside, like you said, you've got to stop thinking about how to be the most badass person in the room for just a second. <laughs> and that's okay. so hard to do. Yeah, don't ask me to stop being selfish because <laughs> I won't do it. But think about how many things that this can give a huge boost to. Helping the rogue get sneak attack? Yep. Yeah. Helping the barbarian negate their reckless attack disadvantage? Oh, I had never considered that one. Yeah, barbarian swinging like normal all of a sudden, doing smash damage. Okay, so again, going back to the the duo Sorry, I didn't mention that, but that's where this is all coming from. Help your buddies and you become tighter. So I need a halfling rogue with my Goliath Barbarian so that we can play this whole game where I'm given uh, advantage and I'm given advantage back and both of us are just knocking shit out of the park. Yeah, you're a team in combat as well as in the roleplay. I'm the halfling and I'm coming down and I'm farting on the bad guy's toes while your barbarian goes in and swings for Gross. the fences. Why does it always go there? Like all <laughs> of the examples just go to some kind of fart. <laughs> that stands to reason that you could do things like helping spellcasters with powerful hit or miss spells. They will decimate if they can hit. And if they don't, then you're screwed. Yeah. And you've burned a very high level spell slot for no reason When your party could be helping you. Exactly. They could sacrifice, you know, if they're out of their major resources, they can just help you and do a big wallop. Where is all of this leading to? Like, yes, we should all use the help action. (laughs) Point made. Just like we all should, I don't know, be better people in general. Yes. We should all drink our vegetables and say hi to the mail carrier. (laughs) Selfish. (laughs) Don't say hi to me. Where this is going? This is a Millie's shop of wonders, so you better be leading towards a wonder of some kind. I had an idea for a wonder. So tell me if I'm weird, but <laughs> yes, you know, those little colorful gel treats that when you go to the Froyo shop. Yeah, the little like, uh, yeah, they're, they're like a, a thin little squishy membrane. Fruity flavors. Yeah. Filled with fruit juice. Yeah, sure. So okay. imagine those. Yeah. But here's what they do. Oh, I'm eating those in combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are a little <laughs> good a little combat snack. <laughs> I want to play a barbarian that has like combat snacks. This <laughs> is like, I need to sit down for a moment and have my snack. Yeah. You burn their entire move just to sit and then have a snack and then stand back up. <laughs> Worth uh, a round for sure. Great. Okay, so I'll, I'll introduce this item and then I'll tell you why it's so useful. And you can flavor it however you want for your game, but I went with a Rune inspired flavor. So, it's inspired by a civilization from another plane. Clever botanists harness the flora of that place and produce something that imitates their mental and physical agility, but not nearly to the level they'd initially hoped. Okay. So we're talking about quicklings from the Wilds. Ah. Little... Creatures that just zip around. Those, they're so much fun. If you have <laughs> never used a quickling in your game, you have to because they're just, they're so amusing. I think they move at like 120 feet. Yeah. Around. Yeah. Nuts. They're impossible to catch. So ingesting one of these orbs subtly speeds up your ability to process what's happening around you, increasing your awareness of what your allies are doing in combat and allowing you to respond to it. Okay. So these are the abilities that I was thinking these little gems could have. Enhance awareness. So once in the next 10 minutes, you can take the help action as a bonus action. Whoa. I know it's super simple, but it kickstarts that kind of help mindset without forcing your players to actually sacrifice their cool thing. Interesting. So you're proposing that by just... Throwing a magic item that gives it to you as basically a gimme for a couple of times will just introduce the idea and get players kind of more familiar and feeling good about using the help action once they're able to see how freaking powerful it is. Yeah, and like play around with it a bit without making that sacrifice. Learn what it can do. And just figuring out when you are very unlikely to be able to successfully do something. For instance, if you are 35 feet away from a target and you know that you can use your full movement, but you still won't be able to attack that round, instead, you move part of it and use the help action with a big distraction or something like that. But this would really allow you to make the full movement and still use the help action once you got there. That's a super good point, too. Nice. And after the fight, I think this can just give characters badass bonding moments. Like when you're able to do that in combat, you've got something to talk about when it's all over. When the big giant with the double bladed axe was that close to chopping off somebody's noggin, you know, the two paired up and were able to fell it before it could do that real damage. Hey, you see when I farted on his toes? <laughs> <laughs> don't! Don't fart on people's toes. It's not nice. <laughs> well, that's a that's a really interesting idea for a, a magic item. I like that. Because not only is it just a neat magic item to have, but it's actually instilling good player behavior. <laughs> yeah, hopefully uh, your party enjoys it. And just as a rule tweak, if you do like this idea... I came up with another idea for how to use that Enhance Awareness. So you could say that it's got a recharge of five or six. So you pop the little berry. You can take the help action as a bonus action. It's active for one minute. And like a dragon's breath weapon, if you roll a d6 and you get a five or a six, you get that ability back. Absolutely. I like that. Or if you've got a particularly challenging player that really wants the center of attention you just throw this at them for like constantly for for six rounds in a row and then go look at that now you now you should go around helping (laughs) everybody and you can still get an attack in and if you don't you're a doink (laughs) i don't use that word lightly (laughs) of course you don't (laughs) doink hoots all of these foul words coming out of your mouth yeah speaking of foul words here's some really nice words uh we have another wonderful review this time from dominic v who said hey i listened to episode seven wow we are going a ways back yeah with this one i think we're on like 70 something i don't know <laughs> who can <laughs> count taking a time machine back to episode seven hey i listened to episode seven last week last week and really wanted to say in my opinion Best episode yet of all seven. Thank you, Dom. (laughs) Hey, you don't know when he listened to it, okay? That's fair. The the topic was helpful and new. Pacing was perfect and the delivery was entertaining. Found myself grinning from ear to ear with your example adventure at the end. Brought me back to the real reason I play D&D. An occasional great tale, a chance at improv, and continued fun among friends looking forward to more Oh, that got me in the feels. Whenever you talk about the real reason we play D&D. For the chuckles. For the chuckles to get together as friends, have some beer, and just share just a cool story. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad we could do that for you, Dominic. Thanks, Dom. You rule. Well, thank you very much for all of the wonderful good feels that you brought to us by listening to this episode. Uh... Like we said, please reach out to us. Let us know if any of these tropes helped you form a better relationship with another character at the table. Uh, Work through it with the entire party. Say, okay, which like that's a fun exercise to just sit down and say, who do you think I am and who do you think you are? If anyone fits into these categories, we got to figure this out. And just that action is going to generate a lot of conversation around what should I play up more? inspire some fun thoughts. Also, please keep those wonderful reviews coming. It keeps the show's awareness up tip top. You should see the boost that we get in chart ratings every single time somebody writes another review. It weirdly, weirdly, it helps. I have no idea of how the (laughs) algorithms work, but it works. We ain't the cleverest boys in the tool shop. (laughs) but you are seriously helping out the show when you do. So thank you so much for everybody that's written an awesome review. Keep them coming. And it's not just about the numbers. Like we always say, like it means a lot to us personally. Actually, you know what? Screw the review. Just, just come join us on our discord. Yeah. It's really satisfying to talk to you folks on there. Reach out to us. We are more than happy to chat. And, uh, Hear about your games, hear about what's working and what's not. And it fuels more topics for this show. So thank you very much to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Thanks Thanks for listening. listening. And have a doink of a hoot and (laughs) fart on some toes. That one's going to be great out of context.